Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. summer we've been going through this series called Flawed. And the the main idea of this series is that God uses flawed people who are willing to walk with him by faith. That's the whole point of the series, is that God uses flawed people who are willing to walk with him by faith. That uh, it's not about being perfect, living a clean, spotless life. That what God desires more than anything else is that we trust him day in and day out. So we've been able to uh, hear from a lot of different people on, on different, different characters of Scripture that are all in one chapter of the Bible, Hebrews 11. A lot of people call that chapter the, the Hall of Faith. You know, we, they just had a, a Hall of Fame ceremony for, for football greats last night, and the Bible sort of has its own Hall of Fame, and that's in Hebrews 11. And it goes by uh, through all these, a list of all these people who walked with God by faith. And what's interesting is when you dive in deeper, you see that those people really aren't perfect people. They're pretty, uh, pretty messed up. Their stories are complex. And it's not that they lived a, a spotless and clean life is what put them in the hall of faith, but there were certain moments when they trusted God. And the whole point of this is that hopefully at this point, as you hear these stories of of Moses, and if you hear these stories, we heard about Rahab last week. The whole point is that you're encouraged and empowered, um, that you too believe that, that you can walk and make that choice to follow and trust God in everyday life. The truth is, is that there's no secret sauce to faith. It's not a Big Mac. There's no secret sauce to faith. What it really comes down to is trusting God over and over again, trusting God with everything. So today, we're going to turn our attention to Jacob. We're going to turn our attention to the story of Jacob. And and the story of Jacob is really quite a story. It's really intense and complex. And as I read through the life of Jacob this week, I realized that you can't simply call it a story. It's really more than a story. A lot of these characters that we read through, like their story would make a good movie. You know, they make a good movie that you could go to, sit down, go through it, and then say, at the end of it, say, hey, that was, that was a nice movie. That was a nice story. Guys like, like Abraham and Rahab, um, you know, they would make a nice movie. Jacob would actually make a nice miniseries. He'd make it, his story would, is, is way more than a story. He'd actually make a nice miniseries. And so it's more than a story, it's really a saga, is what I'd call it. And we all have our favorite sagas, Star Wars, Back to the Future, um, Lord of the Rings. Here's one for you. If we look at Jacob's story like a miniseries, I'm going to make a confession here, and this may cost me my man card, but how about Downton Abbey? Any Downton Abbey fans out there? That's the impression I got when I read through Jacob's story. It was a lot like Downton Abbey. And, and the only reason I watched this show is because my wife did. It wasn't for me. But, uh, but it, really, it really gets you hooked. 
you're on the edge of your seat reading through Jacob's story, just like watching Downton Abbey. You're wondering all the time what will happen next. And we're intrigued by Downton Abbey because you see these characters and you get to know those in, in the upper class and the lower class, and there's all these secrets, and there's all this pain and tragedy. I really stopped watching after Matthew died. That was like, okay, this show is dead to me. Um, but, you know, this, this story of Jacob is really a lot like that. It's, it's like a saga. It's like this, it takes up half the book of Genesis, and it's just, it's like a, it's like a saga that just goes on and on with all these twists and turns to it. And so what I wanted to do this morning is to give you a snapshot of what Jacob's life looked like. And if you were going to make Jacob's life into a miniseries, I, I, I was able to figure it out in about 10 episodes. There'd be, it'd be like a 10-episode series. So I'm going to try to go through these. And uh, Alex if, or somebody, if you can get me water, that would be great because I'm starting to get I don't, want to, I don't want to start gasping for air up here. Um, but yeah, uh, this, is, this is my 10-episode uh, summary of Jacob's life. And we're just going to call this the Saga of Jacob. So in episode one, uh, Jacob and Esau are born to Isaac and Rebekah. And Jacob and Esau, when they're born, they are at each other's throats because they're fighting for who's on top. They're fighting for the birthright. And Jacob at one point deceives Esau into selling him his birthright for a bowl of soup. So that's episode one. Thank you, Alex. Isn't Alex great, guys? He's, he's just wonderful. All right, with Rebecca's help, episode two. So with Rebecca's help, uh, Jacob steals not only Esau's birthright, but his blessing that he's going to receive from Isaac. So then... When Esau hears about it, he's furious and wants to kill his brother. So Jacob splits with Rachel's help. And when he's out on the lamb, when he's out in the wilderness alone, God speaks to him and he says that he's going to bless him and that he will be with him. So episode three, Jacob arrives at Laban's and immediately when he sees his daughter Rachel, he becomes infatuated with her. So much so that he agrees to work for seven years for Rachel to be his wife. But then on the wedding night, Laban switches his daughter Rachel with his daughter Leah. And for some reason, Jacob doesn't realize this until he wakes up the next morning, which is, I always found really strange. Um, episode four. So Jacob agrees to work for Laban another seven years to marry Rachel, the girl he's still crazy about, in addition to her sister Leah. Some weird dynamics there. Um, Jacob has children with Leah. When Rachel and Leah can't conceive, they give Jacob their servants so that they can be surrogate mothers, and they conceive and have kids. Finally, Rachel has her own son, Joseph. Episode 5, Laban and Jacob try to deceive each other. They're shepherds. They try to deceive each other to get the, the biggest amount of sheep, and eventually Jacob wins. When Laban's not looking, Jacob takes his whole family and his whole flock and leaves and flees again. And uh, Laban catches up to him, but when they get there, they settle things, and Jacob's finally free from Laban after 20 years under working for him. Episode 6, Jacob finds out that his brother Esau is coming after him with 400 men. So he prays to God to deliver him, and that night God himself wrestles with Jacob and, and touches him on the hip, and Jacob walks with a limp, limp for the rest of his life. 
Jacob, however, does get a blessing from God and a new name, Israel. And then when Esau shows up, instead of killing Jacob, they actually embrace and hug. So there's your big emotional miniseries moment right there. Episode 7. Jacob now settles in this town called Shechem. There, a local prince takes advantage of his daughter. And so in revenge, his sons end up killing all the family. Um, So Jacob has to leave town. And he moves, and God protects him, and they resettle in Bethel. Episode 8. So Jacob gives Joseph his favorite son this multicolored robe. And Jacob, uh, or Joseph, uh, brags about it to the older sons, and so they're jealous. They plot to kill him. Instead, they sell him to Midianite traders, and uh, they make him a slave in Egypt. But the remaining sons tell Jacob that Joseph is dead, and Jacob is crushed. And he's stricken with grief, and he refuses to let anyone comfort him. Episode 9, famine hits. Jacob sends his boys to Egypt to collect grain so they won't starve to death. Uh, A mysterious Egyptian official keeps one of his sons back and sends the rest of them home, demanding that he send Benjamin in return. Jacob doesn't want to do this, but he does send Benjamin. And then they return with news that Joseph is alive and Jacob's spirit is revived. Another episode ending right there. Last episode. Uh, God tells Jacob not to worry and go to Egypt. And there he's reunited with Joseph, and there's this other big powerful moment where they embrace and weep. Um, Joseph is worried that the Pharaoh will reject Jacob because they don't like shepherds. But then, instead, Pharaoh gives Jacob the best of the land. And then at the end of the story, Jacob blesses Joseph's sons, and then his own sons, and then he dies. Joseph mourns for Jacob, and they return to Canaan to bury him. There you go. In a nutshell, that's Jacob's story. That's a lot of stuff. Um, And that's just an overview. I mean, you can dive into it more. But you see that it's a story that's filled with mistakes, and it's filled with heartbreak. But also, you see God providing for Jacob and his family and protecting Jacob. And we see Jacob conflicted, and he leaves behind a path of broken relationships. And there's times where he lives in fear. But there are also these amazing moments where God shows up for Jacob. And the relationships that he thought were gone were restored. At the same time, the Bible does nothing to hide any of Jacob's flaws. They're all out there for public view. He's a liar. He's a swindler. He's a bad son, a bad brother, a bad husband, and a bad parent in many ways. He literally and figuratively wrestles with God throughout his whole life. And when he thinks that Joseph is dead, he becomes a bitter old man. There's one scene in Jacob's life where he looks back on everything that he went through. And it's a scene where Joseph sets up this meeting. When Jacob first comes to, uh, to Egypt, he sets up a meeting between him and the Pharaoh. And this is what it says. This is uh, Genesis 47, verse 7. It says, Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. And after Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh said to him, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my father's. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. Jacob summarizes his life as being short and difficult. 
And this word difficult really doesn't capture it. What, it. what he's really saying is my life has been bad. My life has been bad. My life has been evil is how Jacob sees his life. That word more, more, better translates to bad and evil. And Jacob sees the years of his life as, as full of pain and broken relationships and broken hearts. So even though God's blessed him, even though he had faith, he arrives at the end of his life broken and beat up and worn out by all the pain and the tragedy that he's experienced. He hasn't lived the charmed life that you might expect somebody in the hall of faith would have lived. It's been anything but. And I think that we can connect with Jacob there. You know, we, as, as believers, sometimes we get the false idea that we can live a charmed life uh, when we follow God. And on the flip side, most of our, our lives have been riddled with, with disappointments and with tragedy, with mistakes that we've made. And I think if we walked around the room this morning and heard stories, we'd, we'd have a deeper appreciation for the struggle that, that each of us have been through in life. You know, when I was just out of college, I sat down and I mapped out what the next 20 years of my life was going to look like. Never do that, by the way. It's just depressing. Um, the road that I mapped out was straight up and super smooth. It was even godly. I was going to... I had just, here's what was going on when I got out of college. I had just gotten married. I just got my first real job. And so what I envisioned my life being was becoming this successful sales manager who's totally loaded, at the same time being a traveling global missionary and somehow doing that simultaneously. That was my vision when I was 22. Um, I can safely tell you that my life looked nothing like that. Um, you know, there, if through the 11 years, we, I changed jobs. I, we moved several times. We were at one point, we were living, uh, in a basement with two kids, um, in someone else's basement. Uh, one thing that I didn't see in the forecast was driving a minivan with no air conditioning with three kids. It's not exactly the glorious life that I had mapped out for myself. And, uh, and like all of us, I think our journey looks different than what we anticipated when we started out. You know, sometimes when we start out, we envision that uh, with Christ and we make a decision for Christ, we, we think that we're going to have this glorious road. We, we hope for, for life to be like that Lego song, you know, everything is awesome. Do you guys remember that song? Everything is awesome. Remember that? Everything is cool if you're part of a team. I need the band back for that one. Um, you know, but life is never like that, right? Life is never just awesome. The, actually, the real version would be everything is awesome. Everything is cool for about one day a week, right? Just like we get one day a week, that's great. And then the rest of them, we struggle through, if we're honest. I think and the truth is, is that we get, our lives get wrapped up in little crises all the time, or big crises. But our lives, we, we, sometimes it feels like we go from, from crisis to crisis to crisis. It could, be, it, it could feel like being under the gun at work. It could be crisis at home, in family relationships. Um, you could have finally got some savings in the bank, and then your car blows a head gasket. That, that's a fun one right there. Um, but sometimes even those small uncertainties can rock us. 
You know, it could be, it could be something bigger, like a weight that you're carrying around um, that's taking your eyes off God. All those stressors in our life, the financial stress, the work stress, loneliness, family issues, health problems, they tend to take our eyes off of God and they tend to put our eyes on the ground. They tend to take our eyes off of God and, and put our eyes just right on the ground, just right what we can see in the moment. And instead of living a charmed life, uh, that's what we end up doing is we just look at the ground and see all this stuff that we have to deal with day in and day out. And we have our own sagas that we live. Our lives are like sagas. And we have our own sagas that we live that are more like Jacob's than, than like the road that we would carve out for ourselves. But here's the big question today. Here's a big question that we would ask of all of the people that we've looked at. What does the saga of Jacob tell us about faith? What angle does the life of Jacob tell us about faith, and what do we learn from it? So to find that answer, I want to go back to Jacob's first encounter with God. So the door opens. I planned that. Um, so that's Jacob's encounter with God. Whoosh. Um, as, as Jacob's sleeping, God shows up to him in a dream. And you may remember this dream. There's this, it's called Jacob's Ladder, um, where, <clears throat> where, where Jacob sees this ladder going up to heaven. And uh, the other thing is he's sleeping on a rock. So that's, those are two important parts there. But God shows up and speaks to Jacob for the first time in this moment. This is when he's out in the wilderness escaping from his brother. And this is Genesis 28, 13 through 15. God says to Jacob, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So first off, God comes to Jacob when he's at his lowest point. God comes to Jacob when he's alone in the wilderness, when he's just swindled his brother and deceived his father, and he finds himself out alone. And that's the moment where God decides to make a promise to Jacob. I think it's great for us that God didn't wait for Jacob to clean it up or waited for a more stable time in Jacob's life to make this promise. He visits Jacob at his lowest point. And sometimes when we're in a broken and vulnerable place, we don't feel like God will speak to us, when the truth is, is that God does speak to us, especially at our lowest. And I think the only thing that holds us back is our willingness to listen to him. Our only thing that holds us back in those moments is our willingness to listen to him. Because God pursues us like he pursued Jacob. And he's a God that's always near and always, uh, <clears throat> always willing to enter in. So when God speaks to Jacob, he makes two promises. First, he promises to make Jacob into a great nation and to give him the land of Canaan. Uh, this promise of greatness, you may remember, it precedes Jacob's life. This is a promise that God first made to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, to make him a great nation, to give him land. And so now God is actually transferring that promise to Jacob here in this low point of his life. The second part to God's promise 
is that God vows to Jacob that he will be with him wherever he goes. God's never going to leave him. Wherever he may walk, wherever he may go, whatever he may go through, God makes a vow that he will never leave Jacob. He plans to be alongside for the whole ride. So let's look to see how Jacob responds. So with these two promises, this is how Jacob responds. This is verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I, that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be, be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So Jacob sees this promise and snatches it. He was kind of a, a dealer, but he sees the promise that God makes and he says, yes. Yes, if, if you promise to be with me and if you promise to bless me, then I'm just going to follow you. I'm just going to follow you. You'll be my God. So Jacob's response is trust, is trust in God. And for all his flaws, Jacob believed God. Jacob believed God's promises. Jacob believed that when God said he would be with him, that he would be with him. He doesn't worry about, what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Like God, is, God is right there with him. And so for Jacob, and this is sort of the, the, the big two things that, that we can take away from his faith, the answer to the question. For Jacob, faith meant banking everything on two things, God's promise and God's presence. So Jacob banked everything on those two things, and that's what faith looked like for him, that he, he, he banked everything on God's promise he banked everything on God's presence. So with God's presence throughout his life, that's something that Jacob hung on to, was this big promise of God to make him great, to bless him. Uh, Jacob fully believed that. Now it's interesting, God spends a lot more time with Jacob than he does with other people in the Bible. Like he, God gives Jacob constant reminders. He is constantly telling Jacob, hey, look, I know you're going through a hard time right now, but don't forget, I'm going to bless you. And don't forget that I'm with you. Let's fast forward this to today. Does God have promises for us today? For everyone sitting in here, does God have promises? Yes, he does. God has promises. God promises us new life if we believe in him. If we trust in him, God promises new life. In fact, he seals that promise with the Holy Spirit that transforms us from the inside out. Um, God promises us eternal life, which is, is kind of a big deal. Uh, I mean, God, God also promises to bless those who follow him. And I can't tell you what that blessing looks like, but God does promise to bless those who follow him. And those are some of the big promises of God for those who choose to, uh, to come after him. But the truth is, is that we all struggle with believing in those promises. We all struggle to see outside of the here and now. It's because we're human. Everybody struggles to look outside the here and now. But God puts in us an inner desire to pursue him. God's not only pursuing us. In faith, we pursue him. In faith, we go after him day after day after day, because God wants us to know him and love him for ourselves and respond to his love. And so our faith really hinges on an active pursuit of God. Our faith really hinges on an active pursuit of God. And no matter where we're at in our journey, 
um, we can never stop pursuing God. This is a daily thing. We can never stop pursuing God. That's why this chapter in Hebrews was written to tell people, don't stop, don't give up, keep going, keep pursuing God. So God calls all of us here to go deeper, to take that next step of faith. You see, when we're not actively pursuing God, that's when we get easily overwhelmed. That's when we get caught looking down. That's when we get caught dealing with all the things that we have to deal with, is when we're not, we're not pursuing God, we get caught down here. Um, pursuing God allows us to look up. Instead of, instead of just seeing the chaos around us or having to deal with situation to situation or struggle with our own insecurities, uh, trusting in God allows us to look up. And it allows us to get, get God's perspective on what's going on down on the ground. A few years back when I started at the direct, as a, the director of Rebound, um, I was assigned a mentor because I absolutely needed one. <laughs> um, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, being a director, I'd never had to manage people. I'd never had to make hiring or firing decisions, plan budgets, uh, worry about payroll. I had never had to do any of that stuff. And so the, the board at Rebound wisely assigned me this mentor who is really a, a gift to me from God, I believe. And one thing that my mentor kept coming back to was, Tyler, don't get, don't get caught up in the tyranny of the urgent. And I don't know if you've heard that phrase before, but he used to say this phrase, the tyranny of the urgent. And what that means is, is don't let all the chaos of today rule your life. Don't let all the chaos of today rule your life. And it's so easy when we, when we take our eyes up and look down and just stay down. We get caught up in the tyranny of the urgent. We get caught up in the chaos. And we really get caught up in, a, in surviving. Instead of thriving, like we talked about thriving a couple series back, uh, we just survive. We just make it through. And, um, and it's a daily struggle to survive. And when we get caught up on the survival, we don't get to live into the promises of God. So my encouragement for you today is to not settle into the tyranny of the urgent. Don't let today rule your life, but keep your eyes up. Keep your eyes up on God's promises. Do you believe that God is going to give you new life day in and day out? Do you believe that you have eternal life? That helps us deal with today. So here's the thing, though. God just didn't dangle a carrot in front of Jacob saying, oh, hey, Keep going, keep going, like Bugs Bunny. You guys remember Bugs Bunny? You know, they put the carrot in front of him and he just walks. That's not, we don't have a carrot dangling God, okay? It's not a carrot dangling God. God gives us something in the short term as well that he gave to Jacob. And that short term gift is his actual presence. God gives his actual presence in the short term. God doesn't just say to Jacob, hey, hang on, because it's all going to work out in the end. He says, no, I'm going to be with you through all of this. I will be with you through all of this. Through all of your struggle, all of your journey, I am with you. I'm amazed by how many times God says that to people throughout the Bible. I didn't realize this till like a year ago, a couple years ago, but it is literally everywhere. All these major characters that we're looking at, there's points where God says, don't fear, I'm with you. Don't fear, I'm with you. 
And then what blew me away is when you get to the Great Commission, when he's sending out his disciples, that last verse is, and look, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We have a God who's with us, who gives us his presence, and he seals that again in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that transforms us from the inside out. God is with us in everyday life. God is with you in your everyday life, even when we're looking down, even when we're struggling to meet deadlines, even when we're struggling to, to make it, God is with us. And, and his presence, more than anything else, more than relief from the urgent, God's presence is what makes us truly alive because it does transform us from the inside out. And so if we're seeking an immediate blessing, if you're seeking an immediate blessing, because Jacob was seeking immediate blessing. That's why he was wrestling with God. He wanted to be blessed right then and right there. There's one immediate gift that God always gives, and that's his presence when we seek it. God gives us himself. And what I think is that God's presence allows us to let go of our gaze being stuck right here and to look up. God allows us to let go and to look up. And honestly, it takes faith to pursue God daily. It takes faith to, to make that decision, to spend 20 minutes. Uh, you know, we've got the bay right here. You can spend 20 minutes out at the bay just talking to God. Um, it takes faith to do that. You know, whether that's waking up early before you go to work or whether that's watching one less show, one less Downton Abbey, you know, that's, it, takes, uh, uh, it, it takes some sacrifice to do that. It takes some faith to do that. Because we have to believe that God is there. That God, that it will actually be worth it for us to pursue God on a daily basis. And so that could be the faith step for you. Just today, moving from a faith that, that is hanging on to God and, and surviving to a faith that is, is hanging on to God and seeking his presence daily. And, and making that time each day to seek God. And honestly, it changes your whole week when you pursue God. It changes your whole week when, 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 you, when you're looking up. It gives you perspective on what's going on. So as we look at the life of Jacob, we see that, that his faith means banking on God's uh, promise and God's presence. And it's odd to me that of all the moments of Jacob's life, uh, the book of Hebrews zeroes in on an obscure story um, at the end of his life. Not one of the ones that we read in Sunday school or anything like that. Um, it was actually at the end. Uh, Hebrews celebrates the end of Jacob's life. It wasn't after reconciling with his brother. Uh, it wasn't after losing the love of his life or losing his favorite son. Hebrews mentions Jacob at the end of it all. And Jacob's mention in Hebrews comes in verse 21, and it says this. It says, by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. So at the end of Jacob's life, he does two things that Hebrews find significant symbols, to be significant symbols of his faith. He worships God at the end. He worships God at the end, and then he blesses the next generation. He worships God at the end, and he blesses the next generation. A few years ago, I went on a 35-mile backpacking trip with two friends who were in way better shape than me. That was a big mistake. They wanted to do this thing. There was going to be 13,000 
feet of elevation gain up and down. They wanted to do this thing in two and a half days. When I got on the trailhead, I talked to some people coming off from that same loop, and they said, yeah, we did that in six days. And so I, I started to freak out a little bit. So I really enjoyed it that first half day, and then that second day, about eight hours into it, though, it, actually about 10 hours into it, my, my uh, walking became waddling. Um, I started to hurt. I stopped talking to anyone. I was just seething in anger. There was one point where my feet were totally torn up, and they said, oh, look, we have to ford a river now. And it, it was painful. On the second day, by the end of it, I was so done. My friend was trying to encourage me, and I was just mad. <laughs> I did not want to be on that trail. I was not happy about being undersold on this hike. I was just mad. The truth that we see in Jacob's life and why Hebrews honors Jacob is because the way we end is more important than the way we start. In our faith, the way we end is more important than the way we start. Jacob went out praising. When I was at the end of my hike, I did not feel like praising anything. And Jacob had a similar life, man. He had bumps and bruises and mistakes and, and all of that in his life. He was a broken man at the end, but he still praised God for his faithfulness. He still praised God. And because of that, God honors his faith for all generations. But the other thing that Jacob did is he didn't just praise God. He didn't just look up and praise God, but he also looked forward. He also looked forward. He saw that the promise of God was not going to be completely fulfilled in his lifetime. And that he looked forward and he blesses his grandsons. And I think that's important for us to grab on today, that God also wants us to look forward. To not think about what just the here and now and getting through today, but what kind of impact will our lives have 50 years from now? What will that legacy be 50 years from now? And who are we handing down faith to? Who are you handing down faith to? Because that's the legacy that God wants, is one that blesses the future generations. I think just to wrap up today, uh, there's a verse in Hebrews 11 that comes before the story of Jacob that really ties this up nicely. It's in verse 11, 13, it says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. When we live for God's promise, we understand that this life is a journey and that we're going to take hits and that we're going to get knocked around a little bit. But we believe that two things, that God will be with us and that God will come through, that his promises will be fulfilled for us, that we will see Jesus one day, and that God is with us in the here and now. We're called to live like we are not going to receive our due here on earth, but to just live into the promise, live into this kingdom that is expanding, that's growing. That's what God's calling us to do. And the real joy that we get here on earth is that actual presence of God with us, through the journey, through the struggle, through all the, the nicks and scrapes that we get on the way. And the amazing thing is, is that we get to press in to know this God on a deeper level. And hopefully one day we'll go out praising. So my encouragement to you, North Bay, is as you, 
as you consider your faith, remember to look up and to look forward. Don't look back and look behind. But God wants you to look up and to look forward. And God wants to bless you as you walk with him. Let's pray. Jesus, this is a hard, hard text, God. This is a hard uh, word for some. God, you, you uh, Lord, for many of us, we, we have walked uh, difficult roads um, that haven't been easy, God. And sometimes it's hard to see you um, when life is challenging. Sometimes it's hard to see you when we feel stuck. But God, I pray for each person here that you would this morning reveal yourself, that you would convince our hearts that you are with us, that you would speak to us. God, that you'd put, a, put in us a desire to pursue you every day. God, you're, you're the only one worth pursuing in this life. God, you're the only promise worth living into with our whole life. Every other promise, every other person at some point will fail us. God, but you won't. You will be there, God. I pray that you would give us your eyes, Father, to look up and look forward. Jesus, we just praise you this morning, God. Lord, you never leave us alone. And I don't know what where everyone's at this morning, but that's encouraging to me that no matter where we're at, God, that you never leave us behind. You never leave us alone. You're always right there. God, let us live into that this morning.